If you uh, would find the passage, John 129, we'll be using this uh, as our go-to text all through this series of uh, focusing on the Lamb of God. Let me read it to you. Said the next day, Jesus or John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, "Behold, or here is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world." Let's pray together. As we pray together, would you take a moment and uh, tell the Father that you love Him today from your heart to His heart? Uh, we use this in Ash Wednesday, Psalm 18:1. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. So tell the Father that you love Him today from you to Him. Then pause for a moment and give thanks. We enter here with thanksgiving. We don't enter here with complaint. We enter here with thanksgiving. Let the Holy Spirit, who is with us, highlight you today of what you need to be thankful for. Take a moment. Rest in that pause and give thanks. There are people that you know who are in need, physical need, they're going through sickness, emotional need, they're carrying a heavy weight, spiritual direction, they need relationships that are godly, Christ-centered. Uh, it, it could be even finances. There are people that you know who are in your life, in your world, in your circle. Take a moment and lift them up to our Heavenly Father now. Will you do that? Stand in the gap for them wherever they are. Would you pray a blessing over those who are around you, even if you don't know them? In front of you, beside you, behind you. Pray a blessing over them today. And maybe you have the privilege of having your family with you today, but maybe your family is scattered and abroad like mine, like ours is. Pray for them wherever they may be and pray a blessing over them. And in the stillness of the moment, ask the Lord, the Father, to speak to your heart today through His Word, to highlight to you. And before you receive it, be ready to receive it. Father, help me to be a plain preacher today, so plain that a child would understand me. Help me to be in tune to your Holy Spirit any word of knowledge you give to me to speak as a pastor, as a preacher, uh, Lord, to any situation. Lord, if you prompt me with it, I want to be obedient to speak to it. And then, Lord, you look at all of us today, but you see me differently. Uh, there's a stricter calling on my life. There's a strict judgment on me, a greater judgment than anybody in this room. And I know that, and I accept my place in rightly dividing your word. So in the name of Jesus that I pray, his name that I preach. Amen. You can be seated. It's good to see you guys today. <clears throat> uh, we started uh, Ash Wednesday. We had a time of anointing and blessing here in the, in the altar. 
we had stations set up for people who wanted to come and and uh, many of you all came and I'm excited about your journey and uh, but I, I've got to be really honest about this situation um, we started Lent you know it's a time of focus and discipline and fasting and uh, the weather was great this week until this morning uh, and it was seven degrees wind chill I just want to know who sinned okay I want to know who uh, I want to know who uh, who broke your fast about Friday, okay? Uh, because man, what great weather we were having! So I had to say that to you. There's an old I'm, I'm country as cornbread, man. I, I and I there's an old saying that I grew up with in the summertime when it hadn't rained. They said uh, somebody hasn't paid the preacher, uh, and because of the drought, you see. So uh, anyway, I had to share that with some of y'all. I do pray for you all as a pastor, and you. Uh, as you uh, in the journey of discipline it's not that you don't focus on the lord in any other time of the year but it's right now is a more uh, intentional focus on him and a deeper focus on him um john 129 is something we're going to be using all up until palm sunday which this year is rapidly going by i don't know if it is for you but it is for me and uh, we'll be focusing on just the whole picture of the Lamb of God. And speaking of picture, I want to give you a picture. I, I've used this many years ago. <clears throat> it is a picture by Holman Hunt. And if, uh, I really encourage you to read more about it. Uh, you, can, you can pull up stuff and find out about it. If, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, this, this is a, a, a painting of about late 1800s. <clears throat> and you can read the backstory, but it's called the shadow of death. And there are there are several points of allegory. There are several things that he has in there that he wants you to know about. And uh, some of you love to dissect art and uh, get the meaning of it and the placement of it and all that. And that's great. Uh, I do too if I'm able to find it, you know, and somebody can lead me in that. But this is, a, this is his picture. Obviously, Jesus is in the carpentry shop. And uh, if you notice on our right, as we're looking at the picture, he's got a saw on a sawhorse. He's been working, and he's stretching. He's just been in a position of work, and he's standing up, and he's stretching. Um, on the left, you see a woman who is kneeling. And uh, the, the intent of the painting is uh, that's Mary, his mother. And she's opening up a chest. And inside the chest are pictures of uh, the gifts that the Magi brought uh, to Jesus as a boy. And she's kept them, which that would be true of any mother, right? I mean, we've got kids' drawings and their first test and first grade. And, you know, you know right, moms? We keep stuff. So... Uh, and that would also picture Mary about pondering things in her heart from Scripture. So she's got the gifts that the Magi brought, and she's looking at them in the chest that is there. Uh, on her left ankle, you'll see a crown of thorns. It's a constant reminder of why he came. And then the shadow that is there in, the, in this work uh, that is cast on the wall. Obviously, his shoulders and his arms go across a beam that is on the wall. So him stretching from work casts the shadow of he being crucified. And if you'll notice, uh, you may not know what a plumb bob is, but there's a plumb bob in that picture. 
uh, it, it is hanging down in the shadow and it's got the heart shape to it or an acorn shape, you'll see that. Uh, obviously you can use that in carpentry and to get the center of something. And, uh, but uh, it's there in the picture and if you notice the uh, heart shape part of that uh, in the shadow is a placement of it being his heart in the shadow. And one of the things that is coming across here is that the picture is that it, in the picture of the shadow of the crucifixion, the heart of who he is and why he came is to die. So there's just a lot of points in there, and I love this painting. And I, 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 I th it's been several years ago, and so many of you all are new to our church that uh, I, uh, I wanted to bring this back out again because it, it, it really... I can stare at it for a long time and just get a lot of meaning from it. So I wanted to share that with you. It goes in line with John the Baptist seeing Jesus and pointing out to him that behold, here is the Lamb of God. The word and the phrase Lamb of God picture is a reference to sacrifice. So John the Gospel writer is not only pointing to Jesus like John the Baptist is doing, literally saying there he is, but John the Gospel writer is pointing to the Lamb of God in several ways. And I, I want to show you some of those ways today. It's, it's intriguing to me. I hope that it is to you and a challenge to you. Um, Kent Hughes is a guy that I, I read and uh, uh, his thought on some of this and my thought on all this had a beautiful collision. Uh, so we're putting this together, and uh, I, I want you to see what I believe John the Gospel writer is trying to get us to see when he uses the phrase, Lamb of God. In the Lamb, uh, pointing to the Lamb of God, also not only pointing to Jesus in the present, is a point backwards. He's looking back. The Old Testament the Old Testament is a prophecy of sacrifice. It's a whole sacrificial system. Animals were brought in and they were slaughtered and they were offered uh, as an appeasement to God himself. Um, some of those offerings happened twice daily in the temple, in the morning and in the evening. Some of them were yearly occurrences and offering throughout the year at specific times. But it, they, here's what these offerings did. They recognized sin. They, they said sin exists. They uh, even used it as a time to confess sin and even to cover their sin, but it never did remove sin. It, it only really acknowledged it. Uh, it, it also is a picture that your sins are to be brought to a holy God. Let me remind you in a very, and I, I pray to be plain, uh, God's holiness and Satan's sin cannot occupy the same space. Some of us have a problem and we're recognizing, well, you know, I'm missing the blessing of God and you may be comparing your life to somebody else's, which I don't know that you really, that's actually healthy for you to do. Uh, but just let me understand, Satan's trash, it, it can be in our life in a picture of unconfessed sin. And then it just welcomes so many other things. Uh, I, a, an evangelist by the name of David Ring was a good friend to Julie and me. And we were very close to him. And at one time, I was going to be his front man on his evangelism team, and Julie was going to be his soloist. 
we were looking very hard at, at giving our call to ministry to that. And I can, I can hear David Ring preaching now. He has cerebral palsy. It's hard to understand him, but he's an anointed preacher. And he said when his wife fixes chicken uh, and they don't take it out of the garbage, they don't take it out, he said after about three days, it starts to stink. And uh, I, I want you to know that unconfessed sin and the holiness of God can't occupy the same spot. That's why we give it up. We take out, just take out the trash. All right, and we welcome in the holiness of God. The Old Testament system recognized sin, confessed sin, even covered sin, but it never removed that. Let me show you in Hebrews 10, 3 and 4. And Hebrews 10 is a whole book about don't go back to the old system. Don't go, we've got, we've got a newness, a new covenant in Christ. And let's don't go back to the Levitical order or the priesthood of Aaron or the sacrificial system, uh, the Hebrew writer. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, actually every day, morning in the temple, evening in the temple. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The old, the old system never removed sin. It only just recognized it. Genesis 3.21, when John, the gospel writer, has John the Baptist saying, here's the Lamb of God, we're pointing also to the, the beginning of the sacrificial system. In, uh, in Genesis 3.21, Adam and Eve, have, uh, ha they're already a part of the rebellion. It's called Adam's sin, not because he did the sinning, but he allowed it to happen. And God had told him beforehand, and he allowed it to take place. Even though Eve did the transaction, it was, it's referred to as Adam's sin. And uh, he's throwing them out of the garden. But before he throws them out of the garden, he does something. It's a beautiful picture. And you're going to have to look deeply to see it. It's going to be a part of what is the gospel on Wednesday nights too. So be prepared for that if you come. But the Lord God made clothing out of the skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. It may not make a lot of sense to you, but this is the beginning of the sacrificial system. For the clothing to be on there, out of animal skins, there had to be a slaughter. There had to be a sacrifice to get the skins. And so even though they're in the midst of the rebellion and they're being punished for the rebellion, God is giving a picture of his rescue. Uh, once this happened, you can eat all the trees you want in here except that one. And then we're like, that's who we are, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, that's just who we are. You know, God says, you can do all this, just don't do that. And we're going, well, why can't I do that? I feel like doing that. I don't know. You know, you hear all that. And they, they had all these trees uh, at, 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 just their, at, at just their touch. But you can't eat of that one. And we know the deception of the enemy came in and began the rebellion. But even in the rebellion, even in the punishment of the rebellion, is a picture of the rescue of God. Who made the clothes according to the scripture? It said God made them. God made them. So there's a sacrifice that had to happen for the clothes to be given. And that he's also saying, I'm covering up your sin and your shame and your guilt, which is what he does. So you could go, well, man, God's pretty difficult on them, right? Well, he told them, eat all these trees but that one. And they, you know, deceived into that one. The rebellion begins. But please hear this from our God. The rescue begins too. Okay, the rescue is happening. 
And I think that's a beautiful picture, even with Old Testament sacrifice. I'm not going to give you Genesis 22, so it's, it's, there's too much scripture for you to be able to read there. You can read it on your own. But it's a sacrificial picture of Abraham and Isaac, where Abraham offers up his son Isaac. And if you read the story, we know Abraham is a father of our faith. And uh, he's, going to, he's, been, he's been told to go offer up Isaac. But in his faith, which I love... Uh, before they even ascend the mountain, Mount Moriah, Abraham makes a statement that we will return. That he knew that God will provide, and God did. You know, poor Isaac, he even had to build the altar that he was going to lay on, you know. And here, Abraham is offered up Isaac, and what does God do? God provides another sacrifice. The ram gets his horns caught in the thicket and provides another sacrifice. And so then Abraham named it, the Lord will provide. And it's a beautiful picture of even sacrifice, but how God provided another sacrifice. When uh, we, I, for a little bit of time, I led, I led trips to Israel. And uh, you get to know some of your uh, uh, guides fairly well and talk to them. And they've pretty much got a traditional message to give you on your tours. And a lot of times they'll brief it with, according to tradition, and it may not even be their own personal belief, but you have to go through a school to be a guide there. So you're, you're pretty much scripted in what you say. So, uh, but you get to know them behind the scenes. And one day I was just with a guide off away from the crowd. And uh, if you want to know about Abraham and Isaac, they went to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is actually, you see it all the time. If you see a picture of Jerusalem, it's usually taken from the Mount of Olives. And from the Mount of Olives is a picture of a golden dome mosque that you see there. And that's called the Dome of the Rock. It's a Muslim mosque. And uh, they believe that underneath that dome is a slab or a rock which is called the Dome of the Rock, that where Abraham offered up Isaac. So they, they believe it, it's there, and they go to Abraham through another way than we do as Christians. Uh, but it's there. And so the guide was telling me, he said, that's Mount Moriah. Well, in, in good old country boy fashion or Kentucky fashion, I wouldn't call that a mountain. It, it'd be a ridge here, okay? So you're, if you're thinking about this big old high mountain, that's not what it is. Uh, I would just call it a ridge. Now, it can be a good little hike, but it's still a ridge. But here's the beauty of the story I'm about to give you, and even of Abraham and Isaac. As he went to offer up Isaac, a ram got his, thorn, his, his, his horns caught in the thicket and was provided a sacrifice in place of Isaac. Here's the beauty of it. The God told me, if you could just walk through the wall, which there's a wall around Jerusalem, on that same ridge, I'll just call it a ridge, on that same ridge where he asked Abraham to offer up Isaac, at the end of that ridge, it can be about a 20 or 30 minute walk, is Calvary. On the, listen, I mean, this gives me Jesus bumps, you know? On, on the very same ridge that Abraham was asked to offer up Isaac, and God didn't let that happen, he provided another, another sacrifice, which was a ram caught in the thicket. 
I, I will provide another sacrifice is the very same ridge that he offered up his son for us. I think that's, that's absolutely beautiful to me. And that's a beautiful story of the gospel that it's the sacrificial system, but it is pointing to Christ. It's all pointing to Christ. But it's not all foreshadowing. Here's what I want you to get here today. It, do the Old Testament sacrifices in the Old Testament, do they point to Jesus in the New Testament? Yes. But there's also, that's foreshadowing. There's also shadowing that occurs uh, in the, the picture I read through an essay by a guy named Franz Aspel. And in his essay, he's like, Jesus is the original sacrifice. All other sacrifices are either foreshadowing or shadowing. They're copies that are there. Look at Hebrews 8, 5. And we're going to use the word copy and shadow in this verse for you. And it's Hebrews, again, is pointing to the things in the Old Testament, to the things of old. These serve as a copy and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle, for God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that's been shown to you on the mountain. And stay in that order. But here, here's the picture that you and I, we've got to be able to see. Old Testament sacrifices point to Jesus in the future, but they also come from his shadow from the beginning. You and I, if we're not careful, we use our logic in trying to understand God. And let me remind you, his thoughts aren't our thoughts, praise the Lord. And his ways are not our ways, and his logic is not yours. And sometimes we succumb to saying, well, God thinks like me. And I love you, but I am glad God doesn't think like you. Okay? He, he has his own order. So... We will logically think that there's the Old Testament sacrificial system, and it points to Jesus in the future. You're half right. That's right, but you're half right. Because you and I logically have the Old Testament doing its thing, and then Jesus is just showing up in the Gospels, in the New Testament. Well, I, I've, I've got to remind you, and the reason I've got to remind you is I am a preacher. All right, and not just your buddy. Hope I'm both. But Colossians 1, 15 and 17 sets this in order for us, and I love Colossians 1. One of the best descriptions of Jesus all together in one place that I've ever read in my life. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. He's not just showing up at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, he's at the beginning. For everything was created by him in heaven, on earth. The visible, the invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him, listen, and for him. So the Old Testament system is getting the shadow, put the picture back up, Miles, is getting the shadow from Jesus himself, but it also foreshadows what in the future he's going to do. Thus the heart in the middle at the area of the heart would be in the shadow, meaning that the mission of our Lord is he came to be able to die. But there's the original, right? And he's casting the shadow. So it's not 
the shadow is just completely true or the foreshadowing. It's both. There is a shadow in the Old Testament that is cast by the presence of Jesus at creation, but yet it is foreshadowing his future death that is to come. And I know that can be a lot to take in, but let me just tell you something. This is what it says to me, and I know I'm an educated country boy, but I'm still a country boy. It just tells me you can't miss our Savior, you know? He is inescapable and unavoidable. And you'll stand before him whether you believed in him or not. And just because people will kneel and call him Lord doesn't mean they're saved. But they will acknowledge his lordship one day. Hitler had to bow before my Lord. Amen. Thank you for that. That's be plain that a child would understand, and it seems one did, right? So there, there you go. Get the, get the water ready, you know? Get the water ready. That's good stuff right there. And in the picture, you're able to see that the original casts the shadow. Another thing that, that John, the gospel writer, does in looking back, we're still looking back. And I, I believe he does exactly what I just said to you. Uh, I know John the Baptist is saying, look, here he is. But I think John, the gospel writer, is saying, let's look back at the sacrificial system for a moment, specifically the Passover. Specifically the Passover. And let me show you how John uses this in a, an incredible way of writing. Look at John 19, verses 13 through 16. He said, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's bench in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Hebrew, Hebrew it's Gabbatha. Uh, it was the preparation day for the Passover. Uh, it was about six in the morning. Then he told the Jews, here's your king. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. And Pilate said to him, should I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Uh, so then because of them, he handed him over to be crucified. Therefore, they took Jesus away. This may not mean much to you, but let me tell you what John the gospel writer is doing. John the Baptist is saying here, behold, look, here's the Lamb of God. But John the gospel writer is pointing back to the Passover. And if you remember, when Moses was leading the people out, the last plague that came was the death plague. And uh, you may not think about blood giving life, but blood gives life. And in a sacrificial system, you're thinking, well, blood brings death, but yet blood brings life. In God's kingdom and order, blood brings life. It's, it's used in cleansing. It takes away the stains of sin. It's, it equals life. But so the, 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 the order was, if you want to have the death angel pass over your house, which is the reason it's called Passover, because the, the death angel passes over, you need to kill a lamb and take its blood and put it on your doorpost. And so if the death angel saw the, the blood on the doorpost and it, it passed over your house, and so they would continually celebrate in ceremony style Passover. Well, John is doing something here that none of the other gospel writers do. He is placing the time that I just read to you where Jesus is handed over to Pilate and then handed over to the people and then to be crucified. 
to have a Passover ceremony, you've got to have a prep time for the Passover. So what John the writer is doing is he's placing this very time where Jesus is handing over at the very same time that the Passover lamb would have been prepared. So he's pointing back to Passover, that the behold the lamb of God, he is... He has come, and he's saying this is the timing. The timing of Jesus being the Lamb of God and given over is exactly the same time that the priest would prepare and the Levites would prepare that lamb to remember Passover. It, it, it may look like death, but his blood actually brings life. He also was picturing Isaiah 53, 7. Remember, we're still looking back. It personifies uh, who the lamb is, meaning Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. So we, we have John saying, behold the lamb of God in the present. There he is. But John the gospel writer is saying we've got to look back at this system. It's the shadow and the foreshadowing of Christ himself. I also want you to know that we look in the present, which is simply where we are. John's going, there he is, the Lamb of God. But please remember, he is referring, John the Gospel writer is referring to him as he's the original. If you're not careful, you'll think the Old Testament animal sacrifices were the original. No, no, no. His sacrifice is the original. Because he, he's before the animal sacrifices started, so he shadows it. But they also point and foreshadow to him. So he identifies him as the Lamb of God. He is our sacrifice, but he is our original sacrifice. John, the gospel writer, I think, makes a look down or up, depending on where you are. If you're having a viewpoint from where God is, you look down. But if you have a standpoint of where we are, we look up. <clears throat> because... He says he's God's lamb. He's the lamb of God. Warren Wiersbe is a very simple writer that I love to read. He's with the Lord now. He's a very, he's a very conservative, just a very general, common sense scholar. Written tons of books. One of his books that I really love is The, the Strategy of Satan. I've never seen anybody put it in such a precise way as I have Warren Wiersbe. Uh, when I walk, I'm usually listening to an audible book, and uh, I just finished that book recently. And sometimes it's caused me to walk a little longer than I wanted to because I just didn't want to cut it off at that part. But uh, he, he organizes things well. He's got a simple saying about him, about Jesus being God's lamb, the lamb of God. He said, all other sacrifices, whether they're the daily sacrifices in the morning or the evening in the temple, or the ceremonial sacrifices through the year, <clears throat> all other sacrifices have been from men to men because it went from the people to the priest, high priest. He said, the only sacrifice in the scripture that comes from God to man is Jesus. And he, he recognizes him. So, so John, the gospel writer, is not only looking back at the old system. He's not only looking at the present, that Jesus is here. 
He's either looking down or up, depending from God's view. It's his lamb from our view. We know that he's been sent to us. And then lastly, we're going to hallelujah. Vanessa, jump out of your chair when we get here, all right? The, the saying that he is the lamb of God, John is pointing to the future. And he's pointing to the book of Revelation. Let me remind you that John, the gospel writer, is also the revelation writer. Okay, same guy. And I want you to, I, I rejoice in this. Uh, the Pentecostal ancestry in me comes out. Look at Revelation 5, 12 through 13. When it talks about Jesus, the Lamb of God in the future, he is magnified, he is triumphant, he is victorious, and he is conquering. Some of you can look at the book of Revelation, you see all the doom and gloom. I see all the victory, you know? I look at all the victory. I just, I just know if I stay close to Jesus, I'm going to be I. You know what I'm saying? I just know if I am with him. You know, I, the devil can say stuff to me and I can say stuff back and then I go hide behind my Lord and look over his shoulder, you know? You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to go through him to get to me, you know? And I see him as just being victorious. And John, the gospel writer, who wrote the gospel, John, is also the revelation writer. And let's rejoice, church, in what he said. They said with a loud voice, the lamb who was slaughtered is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You know? Jesus bumps. They're not goosebumps. They're Jesus bumps, right? I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and dominion to the one seated on the throne. You see the line there? And to the Lamb forever and forever. We, we look back and he's a shadow and a foreshadowing. Every sacrifice, we look in the present tense and he is here. He has been sent. He's not man's lamb to man. He's God's lamb to man. We, we are going, looking in the future. He's magnified, triumphal, victorious, and he's conquering. And then we look around. John wants you to look around. He said, this man came to take away the sins of the world. Uh, the Old Testament did not remove sins. It didn't remove them. Uh, I love Rich Mullins. I love Rich Mullins. And Rich Mullins, uh, if you've ever seen the movie, the ragamuffin gospel that he has, the ending, he was killed in a car wreck, thrown from his Jeep, and then run over by a tractor-trailer truck is how he died. And uh, he took a vow of poverty. He found out what the average uh, income was for an American. He made millions. Uh, one of the first and foremost in contemporary Christian music, but he took a vow of poverty and he, he just made a, and so he, he hired an accountant and his, his own church, his home church, and uh, he took a, just a, a meager salary, gave the rest of it away. Uh, he, I mean, I just love him. I watch him on YouTube all the time, man. I've, all this I, I, documentaries about him. But in the movie, the, the wreck scene was filmed right in front of Walmart here on 127. I didn't know if any of y'all knew that. 
I remember them shutting it down. Uh, they, they filmed it after midnight. And uh, I don't know why they chose Lawrenceburg. I have no idea why that happened. But the, the wreck scene in the movie is filmed right there on 127. But he's got a song that I love. And uh, during Lent, I would encourage you to listen to it. It's called My Deliverer is Coming. My Deliverer is Standing By. Uh, in the Old Testament, we can shout, My Deliverer is Coming. With John, we can say, my deliverer is here, and he's been sent by my God to rescue. We can see in Revelation that my deliverer actually delivers. He is taking it. He does more than recognize sin or cover it. He takes it away. And I want to be a preacher for a moment in just a real common sense way. You have your opinions, and you can. You, you've got your thoughts. You've got your opinions, and there's not much I can do about that. But I, I want to tell you from a pastor standpoint and a biblical standpoint, the problem in our world is not bipartisan. The problem in our world is rebellion and sin. Our world is sick with sin. And uh, it's our sin, too. So don't get into an us and them situation. Uh, and listen, I love you guys, and I, I work hard. I'm not going to be a program-driven pastor for we just offer you this great menu to be a part of. I'm not going to do it. I, and I'm going to say this in my vernacular, uh, and many of y'all may not get it, but I'm going to be on you like a beagle hound on a rabbit. You understand? Of spending time with the Lord. He's not just been sent to us in a denominational fashion. He's been sent to you. And you've got to know him and live with him and let him work with you daily and walk with him daily uh, of how you do that. I, I'm literally going to pastor dying to get you to that point. Always reminding you, walk with him, spend time with him, get to know him. You're not related to the church. You're in fellowship with the church. My relationship is with Jesus. And I want you to know that he sent, not just to us, but to you, to be able to learn to live with him and walk with him and see his deliverance that can occur in and around your life. And we're getting ready to approach the table in our invitation. And as we approach the table, I want to remind you, this is not my table, our table, this is his table. And he says, come. I know some people can lay in judgment over who can come to this table, but the Spirit and the bride, they say, come, come. And when we approach this table, this body, the bread represents the body that has been given to us. I, I want you to know something about sacrifice. It's nasty and it's bloody. I don't know if you've ever been to a slaughterhouse, and I really don't know if I recommend you to go. But man, sacrifices were nasty and messy and bloody. And you know why sacrifices are nasty and messy and bloody? Because our sins are nasty and messy and bloody. They're destructive. Our sins destroy. Our sins can even kill and bring death. So we, 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 look, at, we look at Jesus' sacrifice and it was nasty. His body given was bloody. 
It, it all happened. It, 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 didn't, it didn't match or miss an animal sacrifice hardly at all. They, animal sacrifices, they would break them apart. Just pull them and rip them apart. I mean, you wouldn't want to be a Levite growing up because you had, to, you had to prepare the altar for sacrifice and then you had to clean it all up at the end of it. I don't know, even my grip said, I can't wait to be a Levite, you know? Because you had to create the mess and then clean up the mess. But it's messy because we're messy. And it takes that sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. Listen, God is... God doesn't want you to, to bypass sin and to step away from sin because he wants to control your life. He wants you to miss sin because he wants to rescue your life, save your life, not to control you, but to set you free. And so the blood, the drink represents his blood, and blood represents life. It's life. I'm just, this blood is being shed so that you can be forgiven and free. When I take communion today, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to take it. Doesn't mean that's how you got to take it. You're to come and remember the sacrifice of the Lord. But I'm going to tell you how I'm going to take it. And if you want to use that as a template or an outline for you, that's fine. But when I take that bread and that cup today, I'm going to go over there and say, man, I know, I, I know my life has been messy. And I just want to thank you that you came to bring it. He holds all things together, right? Even our lives. And I want to thank you. My, you are my deliverer. And you have been sent to me. And I have surrendered to you. And I want to thank you for your sacrifice. I don't know what you do, but remember his sacrifice today, will you? Let me pray over you, okay? Father, I pray over our people today. As we, as we journey to the table, it is a journey and a story of your rescue, your forever, everlasting love for us. And Lord, um, we see you as a shadow and a foreshadow of sacrifice. Lord, we look back and we see you as the Passover lamb that brings shed blood, brings life. We see you as the lamb sent from God. We see you as the magnificent, triumphal, conquering, victorious lamb of God today. And we thank you. And we remember you, all that you've done for us. And we say thanks. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and that we pray together. Amen. Church, would you stand with me? Come to the table, if you will. If you're new to our church, take it back to your seat. I usually just take it in the altar. We won't take it together. You take it on your own. Give your thanks. Give your remembrance to him. There'll be counselors on the side here for you. If you need to see someone, the invitation is this. Whosoever will, for whatever reason today, you come. Come to his table. Why? And remember. The team's going to lead us. You respond. I love it that you're already headed here. God bless you.